I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Nate Langson and this text message was sent on the 29th of March 2015. Joining me this week to discuss the top UK technology news is, of course, Ian Morris. And later on in the show, we'll hear from social media expert Heather Bowen from The Mirror, who's going to talk to us about the differences in handling social media accounts for daily tabloids versus cancer charities. But first, I've got a cold. Ian, welcome to the show. I am cold free, but it won't be for long. I sound like I've inhaled um, a, a spore collection because you don't sound that bad to me. I put on a good a good front to be honest. It's my radio voice; it can cut through the phlegm. Um, but I wanted to use this uh, slightly snotty moment to um, say thank you to the 29 people who have left us five star reviews in iTunes so far. That is the most amazing number of five-star reviews to see. In fact, currently, there are none that aren't five-star reviews. So I do feel there's something of a bias going on that these are people that we have suggested leave as reviews on the show. But to get 29 of them, again, by only episode 11, you know, three of which were either pilots or specials, that's, that's pretty exciting. Did I ever tell you the story about when um, when I all when about I left... how your life got turned twisted upside down, flip side up? Yeah, uh, no. When I left uh, when I left CNET, um, and obviously abandoned that podcast in the very capable hands of uh, your brother and uh, yeah, yeah. and Luke Westaway, um, I I then obviously went on to Pocketlin, and uh, back then it had a podcast which I was involved in a couple of times, and someone left a comment on the site going, "Ian Morris is the reason I stopped listening to the CNET UK podcast. Now I have to stop listening to this podcast." I was like. Sorry, buddy. Can't please well, all the people all the time, can you? I'm, you know, I try my hardest, but yeah. not everyone loves well, a Morris. Well, that person um, is is. I mean, he's a Morris minor, isn't he? We only <laughs> go for Morris majors um, <laughs> in in this show. So, thank you to those people. You can obviously leave reviews, um, tweet about us, tell your friends, tell a colleague um, about text message. It does genuinely help and is helping very much at the moment. So, thank you. But that is enough um, self congratulation and. Um, the such it's time for some news now ian yeah first in uh, the news capital t capital n <laughs> is that um according to a report on press association or from press association um primary school teachers have warned parents who allow their children to play video games such as call of duty and grand theft auto will be reported to police and social services for neglect <laughs> so this is this is the nantwich education partnership which is made up of 15 primary schools and one secondary school that has issued a letter after children reported playing or watching adult themed games and according to the heads here they said the games could increase quote early sexualized behaviors obviously haven't been watching pop music videos uh, while writing this letter uh, and uh, advice was in line with local authority policy and concerns now this is a bizarre thing to suggest because it's singling one form of media um, as being contributory to um, the over sexualization of children and violence in children 
Ian, what what is your thought on this? Well, I mean, uh, okay, having I, having I, kids, obviously. Well, yeah, I think um, I think obviously being a parent, you have to be very responsible and make sure your children only play things that are suitable for them. I honestly, if there are primary school kids playing Grand Theft Auto, I mean, I I think that's alarming. But I also don't see it as the responsibility of teachers to report such things, and I certainly don't think you can call it abuse. And mm. I would want a, a you know a peer reviewed study done uh, to indicate whether or not it does in fact as you said um the the grot on music videos is far more sexualized than most games i mean obviously grand theft auto is an example where there is uh, quite sexual content if you seek it out which i suspect this age of child would not um and uh, but call of duty i mean <laughs> that's there's no sex in call of duty is there well, it depends. It's... i mean there's bullets are penetrating bodies yeah i mean that's not very sexual speaking. though Yes. Um so um yeah, stay out of it, man. I mean if, yeah. if you've got if you've got a problem with the kids, then that has to be addressed as a behavioural issue. But I really I mean this just this is just awful really. You can't you can't connect the two. Um No and we I, I don't want to get parents, into a... I don't want anything to do with the debate about that. That's you know, each each parent is entitled to be a good or a bad parent, aren't they? Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to get into a debate about um, whether video games corrupt children because that debate is um, as old as as games themselves almost. And but I did think it was interesting that that this is coming from um, teachers as opposed to say just general parents or or people who read conservative newspapers because mm. they tend to be the source of these sorts of complaints, at least when it hits the uh, the mainstream media. And I wonder whether there is some difference between what teachers see in the playground when children are encouraged to be um you know particularly active and and playing with lots and lots of people which is to be fair what call of duty is if you play online um and life at home where they're sort of just sitting in a room i mean i i don't know if there was a, a reason for that to be um different but i did wonder what your thoughts were on well, i think that. It, i think it's a, i think it's odd to pick you know to say it's neglect i mean i i just i really yes. don't understand i think the wording of the whole thing is it's it's quite alarmist and uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 who can judge, honestly? You know, like, it, being a parent is tough. And and these days it's even tougher because usually both parents have to work because there's no other way to afford it. Now, obviously, no one has to have kids. But at the same time, I don't think anyone could ever explain to anyone just quite how expensive having kids is and how much of a drain it puts on the family. So, you know, letting kids do things they're interested in is an easy way of uh, reducing your burden at home and you know i mean some some not all kids are lucky enough to have two present parents at the time and, and that makes it even harder but i just I, I have a real problem with the idea of it being you know for, re, being reported for neglect to the social services and police to me i think there are far more neglectful things that should be paid attention to um yeah. and video games just, just don't fall on my radar look i mean if you th if you have genuine reasons to believe a child is being neglected you and video games just can't be like the only thing if, you, if you've got other reasons then fine but yeah. just because you happen to know that a kid is playing grand theft auto you know that's just not good enough no, I mean, I mean, I don't think it counts necessarily as neglect to to be bought an expensive toy and then some expensive software for that toy. Um, neglect generally is um, sort of a lack of food rather than the abundance of video games. But I, I do know what you mean. Um, well, when you're a parent as well, you every every decision you make, you look at it as you're doing it, and you think, 
what have I just done? You know, what is what is this setting my child up for? Have I just ruined their life somehow in some small way? And and, and it sounds ridiculous when you say that, but actually it's the responsibility of parenting is that you don't actually have a first idea what you're doing. No one does. And you never know what, what things will, will and will affect your, your kids. You know, why does some kids have arachnophobia and some don't? Yeah, it doesn't, it, it could be something you do or it could just be something else. And so your life is fraught enough and until you sit down and do real science on something like this, it's impossible to say what impact video games might have. Well, if you've done real science and have a view contrary to mine and Ian's about the Nantwich Education Partnership reporting the playing of 18-rated video games to police and social services, then please let us know, podcast at natelangson.com. We have an email coming up later from somebody who's written in on a similar topic, sort of, um, but you can send us your thoughts for next week's show. That's podcast at natelangson.com. Now, if we move tact or track, um, I can't think of any other things you can move <laughs> right now, um, but the second story in our, in our news feed is that BT is back in the mobile game. Uh, this is according to a report from, uh, well, a number of sources, but this one in particular from Rich Trenholm on uh, CNET.com, who says that BT has begun to offer SIM-only 4G contracts that come with free BT sports action and very large discounts for BT broadband customers. Now, I'm not going to talk about the broadband side of this, but I am going to start by talking about prices. Bear with me here because I'm in the market for 4G, so I'd like you to feel my excitement um, from my mouth to your ears via the medium of podcasting. Here we go. The cheapest contract you can get is 500 meg of 4G data. Now, that's rubbish. That sucks. 4G, 500 meg, you can use that in quite literally a matter of seconds, certainly in a couple of minutes. That's about one one-hour program from BBC iPlayer on high quality. However, it only costs a fiver, five quid, if you have BT broadband or a tenner if you, uh, if you don't have BT broadband. Going up to the very other end of the scale, you can get 20 gig of 4G data, unlimited calls and unlimited texts, and even if you don't have BT Broadband, that'll only cost you 25 quid for that SIM card. And it'll only cost you 20 quid. That's one pound per gig um, if you do have BT Broadband. Plus, you get that BT Sports stuff, which I've heard from people who like um, men who wear shorts together and kick balls around for large <laughs> sums of money, that that's a very attractive proposition. Now, Ian, the mm. reason I was particularly interested in this is because at the moment I'm still on three on my main contract on my phone, which frankly is the most diabolical uh, network I've ever used when oh, it comes mate. to reliability. No, it is, mate. I've been doing screenshots of this, like side by side <laughs> at the same point. 4G on three at one point in, in uh, near Liverpool Street, I was getting about one megabit per second down on ee on my other contract on my ipad same time ran the same exactly the same moment 30 megabits per second down mm. or just under at 28 29 meg so a huge huge difference that does affect my work so i've been trying to think of a reason a good enough reason to ditch unlimited technically 4g data and bundled international calls to move over to a limited 4g service that costs a lot of money i.e uh, ee then this news came out now 20 gig of 4g data Plus unlimited calls and texts for, for me would be £25. It runs on EE's network. It's SIM only, which is what I want because I already have an iPhone and, and other and other phones um, that I use sometimes. And that to me is beginning to sound very, very compelling. Now, I do use a lot of data. 
your argument, of course, Ian, is you should use Wi-Fi more or, you know, maybe download your video well, podcasts at home yeah, I mean, rather than... I, I, look, I mean, I, you, you don't have to tell me about unlimited data being a bind because, frankly, I ran into that cap a lot on when, when, I, was, when I was on T-Mobile. But at the same time, I do also accept that Wi-Fi is better in every regard than yeah. mobile data. Yeah, I agree. And this is where the other side of this deal comes in. If you do get this deal... You also get access to BT's Wi-Fi hotspots. And if my memory serves, I haven't actually got this written down, but I think there's about four or 5,000 of those mm, around the I country. I think it might even be six or something. Yeah, it's a lot of hotspots. So for £25 a month now, I can get, without having a BT broadband contract, to, uh, 20 gig of 4G data on a SIM-only plan with unlimited calls and texts using EE's 4G, which is very, very fast. I get access to these BT Wi-Fi hotspots and admittedly, I can get BT Sport, which is not a selling point for me, but let's pretend it is for the sake of uh, this argument. That's beginning to sound very, very compelling to me. And I was not expecting to feel compelled by BT's deal because I sort of associate BT with um, contracts Expense. for the masses. That, well, no, contracts for the masses, which goes for the kind of, you know, cheap access to everything rather than like high quality, which to me, 4G and 20 gigs of it. It's pretty high quality stuff. I just wasn't expecting BT's offer to be that compelling. And mm. I'm genuinely now at this point considering um, checking this out. I'm certainly going to get them to send me a SIM to do a bit of a review comparison thing on the show. And then if I like it and if it works well in my area like EE does, then I'm going to sign up for it and pay for it. Yeah. I think so, um, I, I, I was amazed when I saw the deals. I thought, mm. wow, this is just spectacular. Um, for me, like you, I'm thinking about the five pound one because um, I don't. I, I'm I'm not so unhappy on three as you are. So for my phone, I'm I'm fine. Um, what I think would be quite nice is if I had that um, that deal. I probably would never use the SIM beyond just putting it in a device so it's on. Um, yeah. But it's about the Wi-Fi, like you said. Yeah, having BT Wi-Fi, you can you can pay about that much for access to BT Wi-Fi. Anyway. I think you pay more. To be honest, I don't think there is a tariff that's that cheap um, yeah. for unlimited, at least. Um, yeah, I feel it's... like I should go on the site now and, um, you know, find out. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I was blown away by it. And actually, I think, I think it's a smart decision on your part to, um, to yeah, to, to go for that. Because I just don't, I don't think you, there will be a better deal. Even when BT buys uh, EE, I don't think they're going to offer services like that. Well, let, I mean, let's put this in context, of course, because BT has um, offered to acquire EE for £12.5 billion. And th there is no way they're going to launch this ahead of that, knowing that they're going to do this. So it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they keep both of these side by side, at least in the immediate future. It's going to take a long time for this deal to actually go through and, and, this and re reflect to customers. is ridiculous. Nate... 12 month you have to sign up for a 12 month contract for BT Wi-Fi to get the best price it's 15 pounds a month for unlimited wow. 15 pounds if you're a BT customer you can you can knock 10 quid off that price a month and yes you do have to sign up for 12 months but you know 5 quid a month it's it's just almost insignificant isn't it I mean, unless, yeah. you know, five quid a month you. if you're a BT broadband customer, 10 pounds. Yeah, but if also, you're not. also, they were pretty clear. You don't, you don't have to be a BT broadband customer. You just have to know someone that is. Yes, and well. Get, get the SIM card, you know. So, yeah. I mean, like my parents are on BT broadband, that, so that won't be a problem if I want one. 
Mm. That's pretty remarkable. I, I've got to say, I mean, I, I mean, BT Wi-Fi, really, it shouldn't be that expensive anyway. It's a relatively easy service to provide. BT already has a good Wi-Fi, you know, good network around the country. It shouldn't be costing £15 anyway. No. But um, that's brilliant. Wi-Fi, why not? <laughs> well, I will endeavour to get a SIM from BT and do something of a speed test, which I, I love... Should. Doing. I think, I wonder if the way they've managed to get that price down is is um, not as quick as EE's. I mean, I certainly don't think you'll be getting the ultra speed that you get on EE. I agree. That's, you'll that's be getting... definitely a point worth doing. But as but... long as it's over about one or two megabits per second, then it's already faster than what I'm getting in most places on three. Yeah, so... I mean, look, three is not quick, is it? Let's be honest. Even on, you know, 4, 4G upload is very good on three, but you're right. It, yes. the, the cost of, the, the speed of data is not brilliant on three. Well, we've talked about this enough um, for now, but let's get back to uh, this at a later date when I've done some speed tests. If you're already on Butter and you have uh, feedback uh, about the speeds and performance, then obviously let us know, podcast at natelangson.com. We have one more thing to discuss before we get to our uh, interview feature. Now, this is not so much news as it is commentary but it is tied in with news we wanted to talk a little bit about this meerkat versus periscope debate that's been raging over the last couple of weeks very very quick nutshell reminder of what these are meerkat launched uh well actually i think launched in february possibly which is a live streaming service that uses your twitter account to sign in and you can simply stream from your phone to the web it's not archived it's kind of like snapchat but for video um the idea being, if you are somewhere and you see something happening you think you should share, rather than filming it and then uploading it, just press go. And that will upload, uh, will stream directly over the web um, to your Twitter followers. Followers. Now, Periscope, on the other hand, is a service that Twitter bought and Meerkat knew it had bought before launching that basically does exactly the same thing, except that it has Twitter's official support, what with the whole them owning them thing. Periscope does one thing differently to Meerkat in my experience of using this technology that makes it preferable to Meerkat, which is that you don't have to sign in to view a Periscope video, whereas I was prompted to uh, at least sign in with Twitter to use Meerkat, which for me was enough friction for me to get frustrated and not bother, whereas Periscope... Oh no, an awful prompt. How awful. Exactly. Now, <laughs> I, it is, but you're going... This is a service where people are supposed to click a link and just immediately see what it is you're broadcasting. So any friction in that, to me, is a downside. I don't want to sign in, even though it is dead, dead simple. No, that's fair enough. So I, I feel that there should be an option to sign in uh, and, and prompt maybe when you well, finish watching you're right. the video. Why, why, you, you shouldn't need to sign in to watch something. It's, 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 this is just, it's just silly. Yes. Periscope, however, you didn't need to do that. So I did watch more on Periscope than I did on Meerkat. However, both are really interesting. Both have got... I was at a, a Guardian Media conference a few weeks ago and, and the topic there everyone was talking about was Meerkat and Periscope and how do we monetize this and how do media companies exploit this and how does a publisher use this to increase their revenue and their how much they're touching customers, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff that is generally quite interesting. Um, but for two products that are incredibly new that do one incredibly simple thing, it seemed like a, a, slightly, a conversation that was happening slightly earlier than I would have anticipated mm. um, since a lot of these services tend to be quite fickle um, and sort of they rise up out of South by Southwest and they're dead by 
by the next South by Southwest. Um, Ian, what's your view on these? Do you find a use? Have you had a? Have you meerkatted? Have you periscoped? Um, well, as as an Android user, no, because <laughs> oh, it's yes. not possible. <laughs> iOS only. Um, I, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, as as they launched, I what I am, I mean, I have an iPhone which I'm, I, I sort of alternate in and out depending on what I'm reviewing. Um, so obviously, I'm using the Galaxy S6 at the moment to review that. But um, yeah, I mean, great. The iPhone obviously is brilliant, and I love it. But um, I just, um, I, I, I like the idea of these services. Um, I don't think Meerkat stands a chance, in all honesty. Um, one particular thing I don't like about Meerkat is it, it won't archive anything. I think that's but a that's big the mistake. point, isn't it? It's meant to be like that. It's meant to be. It's meant to be this. There are complaints. Yes, but that's that... just stupid. Because if you're on Twitter, and this happened to me the other day, um, I mean, how long does a, how long do you stream on one of these things? Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you could you could suffer internet lag that puts tweets out that far, and you by the time you've clicked the link, it's finished. Yes, this is true. It's, it's just not. It's just stupid. Like, and so you I think know there should Twitter be a temporary, does it, doesn't it? Right? What's that? Temp- do you think maybe there's room for a temporary archiving that it lasts for 24 hours and then dies? Something like that, or mm. I don't know. I I don't see why it can't last forever. You could well, that- choose not to have it last forever if you want. You could say I do, I just want this to be live now while I'm doing it. But why not give people the choice? This is this is a new media thing, isn't it? This is a this is a. I mean, I'm sure Heather will have more of an insight in in your interview later with the, about this. But um, the, the simplicity is often confused with having no features, isn't it? The, uh, some of the simplest apps are also some of the most frustrating to use because you want just a little extra feature here or there that would be normally if you were sort of sitting down thinking about how to build a service you would think hmm i know what people are going to want they're going to want to be able to show this to their friends after the event because the last thing you want to do is have a you know an absolutely brilliant broadcast that changes the world of broadcasting oh yeah but i can't show it to you because it's gone mm. that's an Ridic- interesting ridiculous. point ridiculous so it's not aimed towards, say, citizen journalism, as a lot of these sorts of apps no. tend to be retroactively used for. These Although, are... obviously, in a lot of these cases, things like Snapchat well, have always ended up being cached by a third party, haven't they? So there is, always a, there is always another service that will come along that will offer the service that you want. But it's like, mm. can't just offer the damn service. In Meerkat's case, I get it because it's expensive. In Twitter's case, I don't. I have to say, I think one of the things that we've seen happen with companies that Twitter buys is that uh, Twitter is very, very good at allowing people to use its service and its APIs to come up with a use case, to come up with a business model. Twitter is also very, very good then at just buying whoever does it best and then pushing everybody else out of the market. You know, we've seen that before when when, uh, they bought some of the official Twitter clients, like um, they bought... Uh, was it Twit- Tw- tweet? tweet Deck? Tweet Deck. They bought. And they bought another one by and ruined it. Yeah, they bought. They bought the one that became the official Twitter client. That I'm ruined forget it. The original name for it now. They bought all these apps and they sort of push everybody out. They 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 uh, inst- uh, implemented these tokens where you can only basically have a certain number of users until uh, Twitter forces you to sign an official deal with them or something like that. We've seen. We've even seen this happen already with Meerkat, where their access to the, I think it was the fire hose or whatever they call the, the, the big pipe of data that comes out of Twitter, they already cut them off access from something that um, hampered Meerkat's ability to do its job. So I don't fancy Meerkat's chances here. I don't, uh, I, re- I don't like the way Twitter behaves. I think it's outrageous. 
really. It's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably a debate for another day. But I, on the other hand, I do think that what Periscope does answers your question, which is it does offer yeah. archived abilities. Periscope which... is the better app. For sure, from the from oh. the very very limited look I've had at both of them, that the, you know Periscope is by far the more flexible, and and, and had tying it into Twitter makes sense. Well, it could it's... be gone by this time next week. Such is the fickle nature of new media to, new media startups based on other people's technologies. Yeah, but, but Vine has been something of a success, and everyone was like, no, but six second videos, no, there's no market has it... for that. I, has know, it? I mean, I I see enough of it online um, to to think. That yes, there is some there is some entertainment value there, and there's some very creative people doing amazing things in six seconds who will almost certainly be our next generation of advertising executives because they're so good at getting a message across in a short space of time that yeah. that I can't see how they wouldn't be flavor of the month with advertisers. It proves that you can do something in six seconds that most ads don't. That's a compelling point to leave on right now. Let us know your thoughts, of course, podcast at natelangson.com. Periscope or Meerkat, which one is going to own the market? That was market. But <laughs> My brain is not operating at full capacity so, right now. So it now. seems, Nate, so it seems. I, honestly, I've, I've bumbled many words and I can't think straight and I've got to Go to bed, basically. But uh, do let us know what you think. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week. Thanks to Ian for joining us as ever. Don't forget, you can send any comments to podcast at natelangson.com. On iTunes, you can leave a review by going to, uh, well, iTunes and searching for Nate Langson or text message, leaving a review. Please tell your friends, your colleagues, even tell your enemies. Perhaps tomorrow, after listening to one of the shows, they will consider you a frenemy instead of an enemy because of your introduction to the show. Or, of course, tweet me at Nate Langson or um, at ian morris got one email that came in this week from sebastian who says dear nate just listen to the latest episode of text message and wanted to point out that microsoft's project names seem to be increasingly coined using halo references the code name spartan for the new uh, browser is the most is most likely a reference to the spartan program which is earth's training program to provide the spartan super soldiers uh, that's in the halo games the mass chief you play in the games as far as i know is the last of these soldiers the same goes for microsoft's voice assistant cortana named after the ai which aids you in the game best regards sebastian very true and it does make me wonder what is the next product microsoft will name after a halo character or trope uh let us know what you would name um i would go for microsoft windows grunt because that's what i feel like doing when using windows 8 send those to podcast at natelikeson.com It's now time to talk to social media expert Heather Bowen from The Mirror. I met her earlier this month and found myself talking to her about the differences between handling social media accounts for daily tabloids and cancer charities. She's done both. Currently working for The Mirror in London, not too many desks from a sporadic co-host of text message, Olivia Solon. So I started asking Heather to talk a bit about what she does now at The Mirror. I look at how The Mirror can get more out of social. And when I say more, I mean, how can we news gather better using social media? How can we get our content out to more people? And essentially, how can we get more people sharing content about The Mirror, talking about The Mirror, um, and in a positive way? So I know you've had an interesting career progression to this point and obviously you and I used to work together many many years ago at, at CBS um, and you did regional 
mirror, Trinity Mirror stuff, and then went to a charity to do social around breast cancer for a charity, and then came back to the mirror, and now you're doing what you've just described. So how do, how do you go through that sort of um, Trinity Mirror sandwich via breast cancer for social media? Um, it's not all that, like social media is social media and it's about talking to people, uh, being human because where they are on social they're talking to other people and that's, it, that's all it is really, it's communicating like you and I are doing now but via digital means. So uh, from the regional point of view it was uh, focused very much on locally, how do people in Liverpool share stuff with each other, what do they talk about that may be different to people in Manchester. Uh, versus people in London um, and then um, of course the kind of content that we were creating uh, would vary quite a lot because it was news organisations um, albeit local so um, you get a lot of missing people you get a lot of really harrowing heartbreaking stories and trying to put that out to people um, you've got to do it in a certain humane way of doing it um, so actually the step to working in a charity was pretty easy because you're talking to people about subjects that are hard to talk about and you need to you need to communicate that um, sometimes social media has a tendency to be used for frivolous entertainment and snacking on gossip and bite-sized bits of news whereas you rarely find conversations about say breast cancer that could be classified as frivolous and and snackable so how what, what different approach do you have to take doing social media for something like breast cancer and uh, to to news like like you're doing now um, you're right things do need to be broken down into different subjects but you can do that with with breast cancer so it's the different messaging that you're trying to get across so if you have a healthy lifestyle then your risk of getting breast cancer any cancer uh, is lowered so what you're doing then is you're giving them content about did you know they're actually doing half an hour um, hoovering uh, is, is counted as, as exercise and you could help yourself out by doing that and it's and it's those signs of like little bits of information and what we did at the charity was to create images with wording over the top so that social is very visual people can scroll down and they can see what the messaging is stop be interested in it the other thing we do is um kind of real real life what, what i consider at the moment to be real life stuff so you've got um picture of somebody's face and you've got their quote next to it so you've got that straight in this is this is the these are the real people affected by it so there are different types of content depending on what our messaging was um and so that's kind of the main difference and then a national newspaper it is more about different pieces of content and i think the challenges there are that content changes a lot more on a newspaper than what it does when you're messaging as a cancer charity so what would what what would you say is one of the biggest or the biggest challenge doing something like social media for a charity about um, a disease um, and is that a do you have a similar or related challenge that you face doing it for news for charities the biggest challenge is trying to get people to actually part with their cash to donate money to raise money to do something other than just it's very simple to just press a like button or to press a share button but one of the biggest issues or the challenges that we face in, in charities was how can we actually get people to donate so that we can actually do something about these particular issues um, and social can be very passive just a matter of I've shared this link it says something about me and uh, actually what says a lot more about you perhaps could be 
if you actually go and run the marathon for a charity, but far fewer people will do that than will share an article. So You see it quite a lot when there are big world events going on. People will change their avatars to be something that shows support for a cause. It's been referred to as slacktivism, that it's sort of feeling like you're doing something without actually contributing or doing anything useful. I mean, is the web make yet making it easy for people to donate money? It seems to be getting easier, but has it been has it been has that problem been solved yet in terms of making it easy um i think for most i, I didn't work in charity for, for very long and i can't talk to a huge amount of experience with this but um yes things are it's much easier to uh, to donate money digitally now i think there are still ways in which they can go where you can press a button and immediately on twitter that'll be a pound gone like if you tweet this that pound will be spent perhaps um, I suppose it works like that with text messages doesn't it you see that now yeah. a lot but but then it's remembering that number and things like that but it's yeah it's easy to do in the same way that it's easy for you to put a pound in that uh, bucket that people are shaking as you walk towards the tube station or down the high street but how many people actually stop to do that there's always going to be the number of people that you reach or you see and how many of those people then convert into doing something whether that be donating or raising money. It sounds to me like that's something that a company could do very well. At, 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 if there was a company that facilitated that sort of um, pound-like donation in the streets combined with the ease of sending a text and donating three pounds by texting Earthquake, if someone could crack that for Twitter, that would be a very good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for Twitter, for Facebook, I mean, look at the ice bucket challenge. Lots of people would do it, and then, I don't know about you, but a lot of my Facebook friends, uh, fans, friends, sorry, I'm selling work mentality, um, would be saying, well, have you actually donated any money? And, people yeah, and how much of it is an opportunity to just do something funny in front of your friends? Yeah, and, and say that, you know, I've done this and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's very easy to do that. But there isn't a button there to say, I like this and I'm, and, and I'm donate and immediately take this out of my bank account. There isn't. But then there are risks involved in doing that as well around data protection and banking security and stuff yeah. like that so yeah but yeah I think that's probably a way to go but I'm probably not the best person to talk to well going back finally then just um, more more closely related to what you're doing now um, which of the newest social platforms are you most interested in using more for um, for news and for the mirror um, or what platform have you got the biggest requests from readers to do more with uh, so we've recently launched a WhatsApp, what, what's, WhatsApp service not a WhatsApp service that's completely different um, and uh, the reason we did this is because we know that our audience use that um, and we know that they're sharing our content there already so it's going to them on a content platform that they're already using so how does it work in terms of news then so I sign up to a group on whatsapp yeah so you text and uh, whatsapp the word politics to our telephone number what is that uh, I can't remember off the top of my head fair enough um, we'll include that in the show notes <laughs> uh, and then we will send alerts as whatsapp chat messages to you about the things that are going on in the UK politics scene and we've concentrated on politics at the moment because we wanted to start with a smaller subject so that we could actually work out what the audience level is going to be, how many people are going to sign up to it. And you can put them into what's known as a broadcast list. Uh, so then you can send the same message out to multiple people without, then if you wanted to reply to that broadcast list, it wouldn't go to everybody. We'd just see that and we could reply directly to you. So that's one of the new things that we're doing and it's working really well. Um, aside from that, other things that we're looking at, there are, there are just so many different social platforms out there. So obviously Snapchat is something that is worth looking at. Um, but the difficulty that we have in the mirror that you won't have at a charity or you may not have in different areas is, is monetizing that and how do you make sure that 
what you're doing is worth the business's time um, and I think there's an argument there that actually everything you do doesn't necessarily have to be monetized and you should be doing stuff around the edges. Um, well, thank you very much to Heather and to Ian for joining us at the start of the show. And please leave your feedback on the iTunes store, of course, by searching for Nate Langson or text message on the iTunes store. Uh, podcast at natelangson.com is where you can send your email. Thank you to everyone who's emailed. Thank you to all the people who have left us five-star reviews on iTunes. I'm genuinely grateful beyond words. Um, and, uh, of course, you can just tweet your support or your questions and comments to at Nate Langson or at Ian Morris on Twitter. And with that, we'll see you next week for another text message. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.